Welcome to the More Like Podcast with me, Jackie. This is a place for us to uncover our truth and learn from each other's similarities and figure out ways to celebrate what makes us different. Get ready to challenge yourself to see how things in life and the people who are in it are more like than you may think. I'm so happy you're here. Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of the More Alike podcast and I am incredibly honored and humbled for this week's conversation. I really think that it is going to kind of open your all's perspective. Um, Last week you noticed me kind of talk a little bit about advocacy on my Instagram stories and how I feel there is an important conversation to be had about individuals coming at advocacy from the lens of a humility standpoint and this is kind of one of the many conversations or a couple of conversations that I will be having around disability and having these conversations are incredibly important and a huge passion of mine not only as a future um, school psychologist but just as an individual who has a deep desire to kind of learn about others experiences in the world and I think that so many of us are so curious about disability but we don't necessarily know where to go who to ask or you know are we glorifying are we glamorizing are we romanticizing um these conversations or these experiences and I just want you to know that the more like podcast is a safe place to kind of come as a resource to to learn and grow and kind of shift your perspective but I'm not going to keep this very very um, long today because the episode is a little bit longer but Sadia has such great information to share and so as you guys go into this episode I do want you to remember Sadia is a disability advocate And whenever we have these structures and historically when we've talked about definitions, definitions of people, labels that have been given to people, a lot of the time we need to ask ourselves, who is the person who did the defining and who is the person that is being defined? For so long, we've listened to the definer and typically they don't necessarily subscribe to the community that they have been that they have defined so this is an opportunity for you to tap into a conversation of someone who identifies with the disability community and listen to her definition of what it means to be a parent of a child with disability um sadia talks a lot about how she's recently accepted the word disability and how her thoughts have changed about that talking to her family um about what it means to have children with disability. My perspective gets shifted on that a little bit. She gives us tips on how to kind of create parenting practices to help not only children with disabilities, but children in general. And then she talks at the very end of the episode a lot about her advocacy and what that's kind of looked like and how she went from being a microbiology teacher to now being basically a full-time advocate. So I know you guys are going to love this episode. And before we hop in, I did just want to say that a couple of things that I am loving lately. I am loving my Dosis coffee. Every single morning I drink some coffee and I absolutely love it. I keep trying to get David to get me um, 
some decaf so I can be drinking in the afternoon because I'm so obsessed that I want to have my afternoon cup of joe but I'm not able to kind of sustain having coffee past 5 p.m. anymore um so I'm loving my dosis coffee I'm also loving my Ilia mascara as well as blush the multi-stick blush in tenderly and the limitless lash mascara and if you guys ever are curious about trying any of those products I will link the dosis um website in the references below and i'll also go ahead and link the ilia um, website down there as well if you guys ever want to try any of the products that i am loving but as we kind of get into today's episode um sadia is a native texan um she has two children with down syndrome and somewhere between juggling her children's unique needs doctor's appointments and therapy sessions school assignments preparing home-cooked meals as a homemaker and wife she finds the time to advocate for people with disabilities and raise awareness about the challenges that they face she loves fitness she's passionate about running and hiking and like I mentioned, she has a dual degree in microbiology and education. Um, so this conversation is so incredibly rich. And it was the first podcast that Sadia had ever done. And I know that you guys are going to benefit so much from this. But like I said, kind of before in this intro, enter in with this sense of humility of we have so much learning to do. Um, and sometimes that means that people that are enabled bodies, we have to change and grow and maybe what was um, appropriate or acceptable in the past is kind of changing and growing based on the individuals that are being defined now. And we have to be willing to humble ourselves in order to accept those changes. So I hope you guys love this episode. And as always, if you think that this is going to resonate with someone or something that Sadia or I share really resonates with you and you think would benefit other people or those around you, please feel free to share this with a friend. I would absolutely appreciate it. Um, also, rate, review, subscribe. As always, I'm so grateful for your guys pressing play. Um, this is so much fun and honestly, such a joy of my life that I get to bring so many of these stories to life for you guys to hear. And we will talk very soon. Enjoy this week's episode. I'm so happy that you're here and you've kind of stepped into this role of advocacy. I guess before we get into all of that, how are you guys doing? Yeah, so I guess last year in March um, is when things started getting, uh, you know, really bad because of COVID. And um, after um, the schools shut down, we just uh, did go virtual for both our kids. Um, but we were just um, confused with the kind of help we were getting. The resources weren't there because it was just the beginning for everybody they were refusing online, um, they were refusing teletherapy. So the kids were not getting any therapies at all. And um, the the lead, the classroom teachers weren't really catering to them. And um, the special ed teacher would give assignments on the computer. And that's just not something that they were used to. So there was a lot of um, just overall regression. So we saw a lot of regression when we went um, we, we went looking for private schools that are taking in-person students. Um, so we, we weren't able to find any. There were, uh, I wouldn't name the schools, but they were actually rejecting um, based on, you know, 
looking at the IEPs or everything, they were just not, they just not able to cater to the kids. So that's when, um, so since Mar until from March to August is what we just kind of kept searching and searching and then we couldn't find anything. And then just, um, we just kind of gave up because we were like, this is just getting out of hand. And we started basically, um, we Google searched a place in the US which has good special education system, a public school with a good uh, special ed department and with low COVID cases. And there comes Montana. And that's what we did. So we basically, within a span of two weeks, we packed our bags. We literally had four bags and we packed it and we just um, flew over and we had no idea where we were going because we had never been here. We had no family here. We had no friends here. And this is literally just something we, we thought we need to do for the kids because we just couldn't see them. There was a lot of behavioral challenges that were showing up. I mean, uh, the regression in everything. They were just, and, and it was hard for kids. So we decided to just take the move and we, um, we, had, we, we had conversations with the school here and we really liked what we were being offered and everything. Um, so even though everything was unknown to us, we had no idea where we're gonna be. Um, you know, we just on, uh, picked a rental place online and took the flight and landed here and, and came in. And since then we have been here. We actually were only planning to stay until December because we thought things will be in under control. It's just been taking so long. And then the school was so good here. The kids were being looked after so nicely that we decided to stay and just keep, um, yeah, every month we're just like, you know, and even the kids, it's kind of sad that, you know, when you ask them, you're, they're like, yeah, we want to go back to Texas to see family, but they don't really miss the school there. Um, so it's, it's just like, um, they, I mean, the, we, we are fortunate to find a good school system here. So overall COVID, um, you know, opened this door for us, for us to move here, which we would have never done before. Um, and it also allowed us to see that there are great schools, um, and if you are stuck in a place which isn't offering much to your kids, I think uh, that's when people should start looking around. And also if it is possible for them to, you know, because of COVID working virtually is what is happening. So it was possible for us to take this. And yeah, yeah so that's how we have had our year, COVID year. Yeah, it's us. been, I mean, <laughs> I've talked to a lot of people and I will say that moving children i would assume i don't have children in a pandemic quitting your job your husband transitioning well he was remote before but still like coming to a new role in a new place that you guys don't know that is i'm in such admir i'm sitting in such admiration for you because that is dedication to your children and to your children's learning and like you said if there's something and it was just um Sorry, it, it, it oh, was okay. because we because we saw them, uh, you know, actually losing what they had gained in years. And with kids with Down syndrome, I mean, it is a slow learning process and you don't want them to lose what they have learned. And um, I think the behavioral challenges were just getting to us and the kids. We were just I was just feeling helpless for them. Absolutely. And, and for yeah. yourself, too, I would assume that's mm -hmm. incredibly difficult. And. 
it kind of plays into, I hadn't really thought about this, but just trauma in general. This is such a stark stop of their routine, just children in general, right? And so of course there's already gonna be a natural regression that's occurring because of what's happening in our world and in our country and um, just kind of the energy that is around, you know, from 2020. And so it would make sense that your children were regressing, but you were like, to what point is the regression mm -hmm. gonna stop given that your children have needs? You're like, right. we, we can't afford it like someone else maybe could. And so, right. I guess we've talked a little bit about Emmett and Aisha. Um, you've mentioned Down syndrome, and I wonder if you are just a little bit comfortable sharing sharing a little bit more about your story and your family. And um, I'm so thankful that you guys are doing well and that they're liking their school. I was worried. I was yes. like, I wonder how they're enjoying it, but that probably makes it all worth it too. But yes. um, so I wanted to acknowledge that. But yeah, I was wondering if you'd be willing to share with everybody just. A little bit about you and your background and being a mom yeah. and having children <laughs> that have needs. I know it's funny because you ask about my background and after you become a mom it's like well I'm a mom but um, yeah so I went to um, I, I have a, um, a degree in microbiology so I went to UT Austin um, and uh, Austin's been my home for years so went to college and did microbiology, and I also had a another degree in um, part in education. So I have a high school teaching certification that um, I had. And after graduation, I worked for uh, several years in the biotech industry, and I really didn't think I would pursue teaching. And then I had kids. Um, and, you know, that's after kids, I was able to use my teaching certification because then you can teach and still, you know, be uh, flexible with the timings now. And then, um, uh, yeah, so basically right now I'm, I'm, uh, I like to be physically active. So one of my most favorite things is to just make sure that I get my workout in for the day or I go outside for a run. I really enjoy running. And um, uh, this is something some of the things that I like to do. And then with kids, so Ahmed is, um, a, a, so I have a son and a daughter. So Ahmed is um, nine, he just turned nine, and Aisha is seven and a half. Um, that is crazy. Yeah, they're 18 months apart. And um, with Ahmed, um, so he was born and we had no idea before his birth about any of his um, situation because a lot of the times Down syndrome goes unnoticed during the pregnancy if you don't get any um, additional testing done, which we didn't. And um, so when he was, we, we got the diagnosis after his birth and uh, it was um, uh, one of, I think those times were probably uh, the toughest you know the child is in the he stayed in the NICU for a while and then when he came home is when you just start all over everything that you had in mind you know before you're becoming a parent you have this image of a child that you know everybody has like every other person is having a kid and your kid is going to look just like their kid in ways you know in similar ways um so nobody really plans on um, having a child with extra needs and having no idea. Um, so we were basically, as soon as the um, Emma came home, I think 
we were introduced to like an array of therapists and uh, case managers and people are coming into our home telling us this is what the child needs and early intervention and everything. So basically we started from there um, and then um, he started getting his therapies and um, we started seeing obviously, uh, uh, you know, him uh, reaching his milestones and, you know, it was all exciting. And then 18 months later, Aisha comes along and, you know, it's like, I haven't, I have yet to meet many parents like us who have two kids with Down syndrome. It's mostly just one and people may go out to adopt another one. But so it was, um, I mean, it was shocking to say the least that she also had Down syndrome. Um, so for the first three years, I would say it was probably just like going from one therapy to the next doctor's appointments, because you can already imagine if it's one child with special needs, you know, there's already these things that you have to do. But it was times two for us, everything. So if there was a speech therapy appointment, it was for both of them, for one, for the other, there's a doctor appointment. And then there were surgeries in between, a little bit here, a little bit there. So probably the first three years, um, you know, that's all I did. I don't have a lot of memory of that time because mm-hmm. it was just so crazy. Um, and then, um, and that's when we found Rise. And so Emmett started first. And um, it was just uh, the Rise School was just one of the things where um, we, you know, we saw other parents like us and we got an assurance that it is okay, you know, the kids are, um, yes, they have a diagnosis, but they're going to be okay. You know, they're, they're, they'll do fine. So, um, and Aisha started a little bit after him. And uh, so they, they did, uh, they did really well there. And um, yeah, and then since, since then, you know, after Rise, four years at Rise, they, um, uh, when we jumped into the public school system, and so here we are now. <laughs> yeah, it's a big transition. And I don't know if you mind me asking, but whenever you found out, you said that you had no really idea that Ahmed or Aisha were going to um, be born with Down syndrome. So yeah. I'll correct you. Um, okay. Sorry. With no, Ahmed, okay. we had, uh, yeah, we had no idea with Ahmed. Um, uh, he just had some heart issues that would show mm. up in the echogram but the doctors weren't able to narrow it down to anything. So it was actually, he was given an okay and everything was good. But with Aisha, because we had um, a child already with a diagnosis, we were asked to um, get the appropriate testing done, which we did get early on. And and so we were, we were aware of her and what, um, you know, while you were asking me, it's like um, one of the things is, also, our medical system is very interesting with regards to diagnoses. And if you do get one before birth, and it is kind of sad because they will ask you questions that they you you don't expect doctors to ask, you know, mm-hmm. like they'll ask you if you want to keep this child. And I'm like, you're asking me while another child of mine with the same diagnosis is sitting in the same room. Mm-hmm. I mean, how could this child be any less? then yeah. I mean I'm I'm probably the one who's more prepared for this child than any other parent because I already have one mm-hmm. so um yeah so with Aisha it was like that um we did know and we were prepared that pregnancy I would say would be um I would say was hard 
um, because, you know, having two kids under two who are, um, you know, this, the gross motor skills weren't there and it wasn't walking, even though he was two and a lot of the things. So, um, so my whole pregnancy was a little, you know, hard because I was carrying him and taking care of him and taking him to therapies and appointments and um, also expecting Aisha, but um, it did go smoother than, you know, you would think because it just, you know, you didn't have time to think about a lot of things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I appreciate the correction. That's super helpful. And I want to make sure that this, every single piece of your experience is appropriate. And um, I think my question to you is more so like whenever Ahmed was born. I think I had read a blog post about you. I think it was one. I think it was on your blog, if I'm not mistaken. Whenever he was born, the nurses how they kind of responded, and um, I'm wondering if you'd be open to sharing like how that moment really felt when they told you that your child has Down syndrome. Um, I'm just curious. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so Emma is interestingly has a unique birthday. He's a 29 February, so he's a leap year baby. And uh, he was born on 29 February, and and his birth was interesting because in um, in the in the OR after um, you know after several long hours of labor, I think they decided to do a C-section. So we had an emergency C-section, and during that time, I think when he was born, we had no idea. The nurses didn't say anything. The doctor who operated, um, she was not my doctor. I mean, she was the one present that day on call, yeah. so she, right on call so she didn't say anything and from there on he went straight to the nursery and it was just like oh yeah I mean everything was fine and it was the night um so everybody met and went home and you know the night went by fine and the next morning like around noon the actual pediatrician comes in and uh, that's when she tells us that um, your child has signs of Down syndrome. And um, so I have a background in biology, obviously. Mm -hmm. I knew what Down syndrome was. And now when I think about it, when I looked at Emmett, I could see it right then and there. I could see it in his eyes. And I just didn't see it before she said it. Yeah, it's course. just interesting. Um, so, uh, and yeah, and so she started um, obviously telling us all the things he will not be able to do. So he told, she told us he will not be able to talk properly, walk properly. He will be delayed. There will be a lot of delays. And, you know, so don't picture the child like, you know, you think he will be, he will be very different and he will never go to college. He will never really, you know, I, cause I was asking questions and her answer to those questions was, um, no, it will be really hard for him to do this. And I mean, uh, as parents, we were just in shock. Uh, I was just, my mom was there and I was in such a shock that she just, um, she just took Emmett from me and she just held on to him. And um, I mean, I was crying and I was just like, in no idea what has just happened to us. Like I thought it's all fine. And then from there on, it was just not fine. Like, so he started, he was born with a heart issue, but for, fortunately for that whole night, um, he was fine. But then the day after he started, you know, having complications and started turning blue and 
So, you know, the diagnosis and then on top of that, he was rushed to the NICU and plugged in with so many machines at in the soap. So from there on, it just seemed like whatever the doctor said was coming true. It was like, wait, so she said he will not be able to do these things. And he's actually having a hard time. And, you know, um, so I, I don't think that was um, obviously I don't have that doctor anymore. I did change <laughs> her. Um, you know, it, within the first few months, we were able to find another, um, you know, and we have had her since then. But he, I mean, it, I feel like um, my uh, my like impression of what Down syndrome is or what my child would be like would be so much different if I was told differently. If I was just told in a you know more compassionate way, and or if somebody had told me whatever he's doing now is what it's going to be like, um, so I mean, and that actually had an impact on me for at least a year. I was just like, I don't know, because the first year they're really not, they are actually having a hard time doing a lot of things, you know, because the first year is when the babies are growing so fast, they're rolling and they're sitting and they're crawling and they're walking in a year. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't doing any of that. He never crawled. And so that it was just like that year was so hard. We were just like, you know, maybe that's what it is. He will, um, we kept doing what we were supposed to and we kept working hard. We would take him to his physical therapy appointments, but in the evenings, we would make the whole setup at home. We would do the exact same things with him at home. And like, if I was at the therapy with him, I would come home and tell my husband that this is what we did. So he would replicate it with him. And he was always very physically active with him. And, uh, but we, I mean, even though what they said, we were starting to see, um, you know, changes. We were starting to see uh, an impact of the therapies on him. And so that's when I started gaining my, um, you know, strength back and thinking that, you know, that may not be all true. And, you know, we, we, I need to trust my child and let him show me what he can really, what he's capable of. I think this is a big reason why I wanted to have this conversation is sometimes we put limitations on other people then we don't even don't even know what they're capable of. And I think in this world of, you know, disability, we have these preconceived notions that every single diagnosis, every single classification looks the same. And there truly is a spectrum for every single person, every single individual that has a disability. And I will say that to you right now because, and this is so important, I have two kids with Down syndrome and all of Down syndrome is not the same. I mean, there is so much difference between the two kids. They have different interests and they have different strengths even. Some things, Aisha is younger, but she's better than Ahmed. And so it is definitely true, like you said, it is you know, a spectrum, which can be, you know, different for from one kid to the other. And instead of it sounds like for you, it, you kind of had to live it to fully know this is that when we really focus on our children's strengths, 
that is where they thrive. Instead of focusing on what they can't do, what's going to be difficult for them, it's like, okay, they are really good at standing and holding their core strength. What can we do with that? How can we incorporate those types of skills and how can we embed it into their learning? Instead of like, okay, this, this, child isn't able to kneel on their knees it's like well why are we focusing on on trying to make them kneel if that's something they're struggling with when they can stand how can we modify the learning environment so that that child can stand if the other children are kneeling that's great but if he can stand and do the same thing why don't we focus on on that and Mm -hmm. I think it it really shows that Hopefully, and granted, I think I've been in this world for quite some time, and I think that's a big thing that Rise did really well is like, let's focus on the strengths, let's build those up. Yes, we're going to acknowledge the weaknesses, but here's how we're aiding those and fostering those, like, and providing more opportunities to build those skills. I don't that's want to. What I, that's one of the main things I learned from Rise and all the teachers there is not to dwell on things that they aren't able to do properly at that moment. You know, they may do it uh, at another time, but even that, like even us as a typical human, we aren't able to do everything. You know, you're not, everybody's not supposed to do everything. Mm-hmm. So um, just putting that pressure on a child with a different need is just not appropriate. Yeah. Do you feel like you still find yourself sometimes falling back into that mindset or do you feel like you've kind of let that go? Um, I think over so many years, I have kind of let it go now. I do. I just let them be themselves. If they are enjoying a certain activity, we do more and more of that. And I think it comes with acceptance that um, we don't, we're not um, aiming for perfection, right? And no human, you know, we shouldn't really aim for perfection, even for ourselves, We are just trying to do our best. And for them, even, I want them to just try their best. And um, if they don't like something, they will just not do it. So why, you know, and yeah, they they, they are very like, they know what they want to do. and, and, And what they do is so good. Like whatever they do and they put their mind to and they enjoy doing, they do it better than, you know, a lot of, a lot of the other kids sometimes. And I've been told that, that he's able to, you know, um, uh, do this activity. And my other kid in this classroom wasn't even able to do this. So it's just that, you know, you just let them have that chance. And I do not, yeah, it's taken a while. It's taken years, but now I don't dwell over things they aren't able to do. And I just um, enjoy the moment. Yeah. I'm so happy and I appreciate you answering that question because I know it's a very vulnerable and it's a very personal question because I think just for me and my own experience, I go in and out of things that I'm learning all the time and unlearning. And so I really appreciate your honesty with that question. And I'm sure it's still difficult, but I have another question that's prompted Uh now is, um, what are some things that they love to do? I think it's important for our listeners to kind of hear some of the things that they thrive in and that they enjoy. Um, Because as you said, we're all progress. We're all working towards progress Mm -hmm. and not perfection. And um, I used to actually have a sticky note on my computer that said that because I just think it's such a beautiful reminder that any step that you're taking, whether it's front, sideways, or zigzag is still towards something. And I think too, it's important 
for us to highlight that individuals that have disability like still like normal things and want to do normal things and they have an opinion and they Mm -hmm. have uh, their own voice and their own thoughts and um I don't know I think that gets lost sometimes yes and it does and and like you said um uh, for one of the first things that, uh, you know, I don't know, back in the day, I, you know, as a um, new parent, you're just thinking of different things. So I used to think that he will he never be able to go to college or, you know, but now so many people with Down syndrome are going to college. But coming back to what, um, so what they like to do is, um, Ahmed is a great reader. It is, I mean, it is amazing um, uh, the way he can read. He is reading at grade level so he's in second grade it is amazing and I I you know I I find it even hard to say this sometimes because I'm just like he he's doing so good um and thanks to God that he's able to he he actually enjoys the school um routine so he loves going to school he loves reading books he loves doing math also it is a little hard for him but he enjoys doing it like he, he, he can um, just, um, he doesn't get frustrated too fast. Um, so one of, uh, those are his strengths in his um, school, but his favorite activities at home is all sorts of ball games. His, like he knows, recently we did a project and one of the questions, it was all about him and one of the questions, what, what would you like to be when you grow up? And his answer was LeBron James. so he loves basketball he loves um uh baseball and he loves to play cricket uh his dad he plays cricket with him so he loves that and just basically he wants to be physically active all the time he wants to be doing something it's either a board game or an actual game Uh, so that's him and um uh, he's a Physically, he's a little, um, compared to Aisha, he's, his strengths are um, a little, I, I don't know how to say it, like, like he, maybe a little less compared to Aisha in a way, because he's um, he struggles with some things like climbing stairs mm. or, or walking or running. Yeah. Now coming to Aisha, she's 18 months younger, but she's all about running and gymnastics and flipping over things and somersaults and she's just so like fearless oh yeah oh yes (laughs) and but she's also a girly girl like she could um she just wants to play with her dolls and um it's like sometimes it's funny because I'm like I did not like I did not separate this that oh my son is gonna be a ball player and my daughter is gonna play with dolls um but it just so happened she likes to play with dolls and she likes to color and she likes to cook with me in the kitchen she likes to bake she wants to be involved. Like she recently started making her breakfast, uh, her lunch um, sandwich. Like she loves peanut butter sandwich. So she'll make that. Um, so she wants to be, yeah, she wants to be involved. And um, she's just so funny. She'll just, if out of nowhere, she'll just come to you and say, um, do I look pretty? I know I do. <laughs> and like, sometimes I'm like, that's the confidence I want to have. Yes, yes. I think there's so this beauty, funny. there's this beauty just with children in general, this innocence that they have and this like childlike wonder that the world is just peanut butter sandwiches and baseball yes. games, you know, and I'm sure you get to see your kids every day and like, almost like 
live relive your childhood. I know. She's so funny. She's just very confident. Like once yes. um in a restaurant, a lady like the waitress asked her, she she said, Hey princess. And Aisha's response was like, Oh, I am not princess, I'm Aisha. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, Don't uh, get it confused. <laughs> lady that doesn't know yeah. me <laughs> yeah so she's she's a she's a total girly girl I can't even imagine what teenage years will be like with oh her oh my god it's gonna be <laughs> probably yeah. a handful but I think yeah. that it's definitely gonna keep you on your toes and um I yeah. think it's just it's such a good reminder to all of us that we all have strengths and we all have interests and in kind of letting your children like I think another thing that this is like the rise show too. Another thing that rise did really well is like um, letting our letting our children, letting our students be our teachers too, and guide us into what they're interested in, and not like forcing what yes. we wanted them to do. If you know, I think my second teacher, um, Marissa, she was really really great at this. That you know, if the children were particularly loving a unit, she was like, "We're not going to take it down. Let's you know go mm -hmm. ahead and keep it for another week." If you know, they just started going to our dramatic play or something. She's like, let's go ahead and keep it because they're really yeah. enjoying it. And it's funny because that ends up being more work for the teachers. We have to get creative with how we engage with the children in those areas and extend their learning. But I think it's so interesting with what you do whenever a child's really interested. You kind of and see that's them what, thrive. Yeah, so true. And that's what I feel like with um, us as a parent. I mean, there's been so much learning, like just so much so much I've learned with them over the years that how how parenting is normally done and we just have to do it all you know just just do it according to them like yeah. what they're taking at that moment is how we go about it um you know it may not look right to another parent and that is okay I think that is where we draw the line is this is how our child is going to do well. And this is what we need to do for them. And it may not be aligning with the typical parenting world, but this is what works for us. So yes, a lot of learning with these kids. I think that's wonderful. What are some things that you feel as a parent, you mentioned, um, you know, you're in your own lane and doing what you think works best for Aisha and Ahmed. Um, that's one thing that you learned. But I guess what's another thing that you've kind of taken away that you would have maybe never learned if you didn't have Aisha and Ahmed from parenting them with your husband or just in general, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, I think, um, I think it's, I was, um, I would probably say that letting go of a lot of things is not easy like letting go of ideas in your mind that you have made up over the years and just being able to be comfortable and say that it is okay if it is not going to happen i think that is what i struggled with initially in the first few years is just uh, you know dwelling over that fact that well why are my kids not going to be doing this why this and why me you know um so just getting over that and realizing that what they are doing is great and I need to be more present in that moment and just be happy for um, them. And I think they have the biggest thing they've taught us is to slow down in life. I mean, it is like we are always in a rush, in a hurry. And I see typical parents, you know, going from one soccer game to another or like one activity to the other. Uh, while here we are just putting shoes on for 
you know, 15, 20 minutes of the day because of, of that activity. Because we are like, if we want them to do it, we just need to slow down and be patient. I think that's, yeah, being patient is just something you learn with them because they're slow learners. They do learn, but they need time. So giving them time is not rushing through life and it has slowed down our life and actually made it easier to just have certain things that are important to us. We don't run after a lot of things anymore. It's like, okay, if this is not going to happen, it is okay right? You know, it's okay. Let's just not focus on that. Just do this. So basically slowing down, being more patient with them and just um, not rushing through things because they will just not function. They do. They just stop. They just shut down. um, Yeah. They just shut down. And whenever we try to rush them and routines are so important for them, if there's any change in the routine is, you know, and that is what I've, I've learned with them is that I just we just have routine the routines have everything that, that's that's what makes it all work for us there has to be a certain because this is what they look forward to they it is not easy for them to and it is also not we can't be just um you know how some, I, I used to be like okay let's go there or let's go have this with them you can't you have to you know slow down you have to tell them okay we're going to do this tomorrow you keep talking about it or if this is a big thing you keep talking about for a few days so they build it up so they learn okay this is going because if you do it right away all of a sudden they will shut down and they will not cooperate and that's going to slow you down obviously and so i think it's just about which is why routine works because they know what's going to happen if there's any change in routine, if there's anything that is different, if somebody comes in or any change is what, you know, it just just changes the whole day. But yes, I've learned to be so calm and patient and slow down. I never thought I would be like this, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think to so kind of recap, just some things that I just want to re- reflect back to you because I think they're really beautiful as you know being mindful of your moments and being able to let go of kind of keeping up with the Joneses, what everybody else is doing with their children and focusing on what your child needs in that moment, being patient with yourself, being patient with your husband and being patient with your children. And then last, um, yeah, last, just slowing down, being mindful. And I think living meaningful is like a big thing that I took away from the lessons that you shared with our fellow listeners. Oh, and routine. And when you say, yeah, and when you say living meaningful, I'll just share with you in a way that our move here, you know, we have realized how less of the things you really need. We really brought our, I mean, leaving a home that we built in Texas for years and we have so much stuff there. But living here in a rental, which is already, you know, a furnished place, we, we brought our, our clothing and toys that are important to them. But I mean, we left so much behind, but we realized that it's only, it's only just a little bit of stuff that is really important to lead and act like a good life. You don't need a lot of stuff in life. And uh, this is, you know, this move has really taught us to be meaningful with all the things, it, things that you own and just use on a daily basis. Um, we have so much excess of everything. 
it just, yeah, it just leads into another, you know, uh, the conversation of no, yeah. how I'm being, you know, how it makes you so mindful of everything you use. And yeah. I'm already thinking of going back and, you know, how I would probably change the lifestyle because yeah. we really didn't need a lot of stuff. It can be at times like overstimulating for us in a way that we don't even recognize, right? And imagine what that's doing to our children. Sometimes yeah. the excess of things leaves them almost like stunned. They don't know what to do with everything yes. around them too. So yeah, I think that that is huge, especially here in America. There's such an overabundance. And yes, I think abundance mindset is wonderful, but we really don't need much to be happy and to live happy. Yes. Um, I kind of want to switch gears a little bit because I kind of want to talk about just, I think there's another added layer here as well as your of your culture and the community yes. that you had prior to having Aisha and Amit, I know in a lot of your blog posts, you talked about feeling like you didn't know how to talk about your children that had disabilities with friends and family, and they didn't necessarily understand. And that was a big reason why you wanted to have a blog. And I want to talk about upping the downs game as well in this, but how has that been? And it kind of led you into a role of advocacy. Like you said, you, you're a microbiologist turned teacher turned advocate. And how has that process been like? I, I can already imagine it feeling so lonely at the very beginning, having this doctor tell you, your kid's never going to do anything. You right. little by little starting to believe that and internalize it. And then all of a sudden Ahmed starts proving everybody wrong and then having to like explain this to everybody you're feeling like you have to which you don't owe anything to anybody which I'm sure you right. know now and you've learned but at the beginning you just want to be understood and you want your children to be understood so what was that process like and how has that kind of turned you into this new role and world of advocacy so it's um I think it was hard because I feel like we um forget that just like the people that we're interacting with, we ourselves were similar in a way because we had no idea. And before having our own kids, we were probably just like everybody else. We were in the mindset that this is not ever happening to anybody. So have no idea. So we, we were also, I think part of my advocacy is also because of the things I used to think of that, okay, um, how do you ask somebody and what are you supposed to ask? And a lot of the times I realized the people around me were not asking because they were afraid it may offend me or offend us or anything like that. And I think it is, um, like I say all the time in my blog, that it is always okay to ask. I think asking is what makes the other person even comfortable because they feel that you are being seen and somebody is there to actually hear you. I think it, the biggest thing is that when nobody is asking, you feel like nobody's really seeing your struggle or um, seeing you as a person going through this um, life-changing, life-altering um, scenario. So I, that's why I always like, I want people to ask. So it makes you feel more like you are able to explain it to them. And when they ask, then that's when you realize that um, they might just be just like us before we had kids. They, they weren't really. Um, so that's the thing with, I think it also comes with my culture. There's a lot of um, not talking about um, disabilities. You know, we don't really, it's like, um, you know, just, just keeping it very quiet around these issues that I don't know if people will be offended or 
some people might just say it in the wrong way, you know. So instead of saying it the wrong way, some people just say nothing, and some people actually say it in the wrong way. So I think um, it's a lot of confusion. And yes, that's when I when I started uh, my blog. I think a lot of people still message me, and they do message me, and then they're like. You know, when I read this, I realized that I need to stand up for own for my own kid because this person said this to me, and um, I realized that if I say nothing, then that means that I'm agreeing with them, and that is not what I'm. So a lot of times we just stay quiet, we let people talk, but I think we need to. Um, advocacy comes when you start learning to stand up. and start talking more openly when i start talking more openly people talk, start talking to me people uh you know say that we read this and we 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 you know message or they message saying that we read we just read this a lot of times you know i get really personal messages um from you know mothers asking for help in their particular situations because they're not able to and i i do empathize with them because some situations are really hard because some families are just not able to um you know understand there's a lot of denial i think in our i i'm not sure if it's in our culture but overall around the situation with disabilities there's a lot of denial in the in the beginning phases it's always like no it will go away you know all kids do this uh, it's just a phase it will pass you know So and the fact that you want they don't want you to talk about it it's like what what this is what i say if you are not going to talk about it how are you going to work for it you have to get out of the denial phase and realize there is a problem here you need to get a solution you need to get the child help and um just recently uh you know a mother with an older child with down syndrome told me that she has never told her child that she has down syndrome um so i was just i was just shocked i was like you know it it's not it's not a bad thing yeah you know you you not telling them or you not saying this word or this you know saying it is is it making you ashamed of this that your child has it are you ashamed you shouldn't be ashamed of it it is just part of their life it is not it's not a disease that you have a treatment for it is just something that is part of their life So I think this is where my advocacy comes because I'm just like sometimes I'm like I mean it's a little bit of illiteracy and just not getting an idea that um this is okay it is okay it is okay to say this it is okay to have it if your child has it you know the denial I think is what kills you it's just like and I I can I can feel that because I went through it and I remember that you know it's this like uh you have three days until you get your genetic testing done for your child and in those three days me being a biologist i could see it in his eyes i could see it all over even then i was hoping that this is not true you know so i i mean i don't blame those mothers or parents who are going through this but i just say that there needs to be a time that you need to get out of the denial phase and let your family get out of it too extended family people should be talking about it the cousins the family members even if they're younger cousins it's okay they should talk about it because they know that their cousin or their friend has this so in the future they can be more empathetic and they can be more helpful and you know it, it will actually help them build a more like a kind heart 
it, we forget how it helps a neurotypical person to be around a disabled person. It yeah. is actually making you a better person inside. So talking about disabilities and accepting them is a huge part of it. So I think, yeah, this is where my advocacy comes. And it took me years to be able to talk about it. I mean, I literally, the first three years, every time I would have to tell somebody that my child has Down syndrome, not one, but two, I would start crying. Because I was like, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. But yes, they have Down syndrome. And, but, you know, so I give the parents time. And, but later on, it's just like, you need to get out of it and get them help. Yeah, I think I think you touch on such an important part of just secrets and stories and things that we put on ourselves. And the more that we don't talk about things, the more that things live in the dark, the harder it is to then like step into the metaphorical light. And yeah, absolutely. For someone that's sitting here like me, you know, listening to this story, I'm an I'm an able-bodied individual. I don't have children that have disabilities and I'm learning so much just even in this conversation and it's so important to recognize the privilege that we all have that um able-bodied individuals have. And and two, I think it's important to note that you know, this is your perspective too. And I think the world of disability advocacy is changing so much. You know, some people want person first language, some people don't. Some people want to be a part of the disability community, some people don't. And if we don't ever humble ourselves enough to ask the questions, Sadia, not even just you, Aisha, Ahmed, how do you want me to refer to you when they get to that age? Because you're worried that you're gonna offend them not talking about it necessarily doesn't help the problem and we have to step into again as able-bodied individuals into a space that where all of us can have a seat at the table with these conversations so true and i would tell you that you know even in myself it has just been a few years that i've accepted the word disability i used to be uh, thinking that we should be calling them differently abled or special needs and but disability is what it is. This is what they have. And it is not saying that we are dissing their ability. I don't think that is what it is. I think we need to, if we don't um, recognize the disability, we don't recognize their struggles. We don't recognize the hardships. If you are able to stand up and walk, you are able-bodied and you do not have a disability, but if they do have a disability and they're not able to do it, it is a disability. It is not a different ability. It is not. So I have actually, I've just moved away from differently abled. I don't like that anymore because it just doesn't, because we are all differently abled. I think I'm okay with disability and I'm okay with special needs because um, there are uh, some things that are, but but it is what it is. This is where we need to accept that they have a disability and it comes back to the same denial phase. Like you need to come out of this denial that they don't, you accept they have a disability and then you start working towards making things and life easier for them. You start making wheelchair ramps, you start being inclusive in surroundings around you. If you don't think it's a disability, you will not make a ramp, you know? Oh, they mm-hmm. just have a different ability. So just get away some other way. No. Yeah. yeah. 
I think that's so important too. And you brought up a bunch of different language, right? Different ability. I've, I've heard one of my textbooks when I was in my special education program, it was about teaching children with exceptionalities. Like there's all this different language. And I will say that to you, different, differently able is no longer, but to someone that might resonate yes. with them still too. So I also want to just let everybody out there know there's multiple ways to go about this and there's yes. no right or wrong way. And I think for and that's us, where the, yeah, that's where the disability community is actually growing and yep. learning. It is because everybody has a right to um, what they want. People, like you said, like in most of the autism world, they do not like the first person um language they actually want to be referred as autistics so it is it is which is mind-blowing to me you know what I mean because that was it is yeah I know I was just like I still don't want them to be called as a Down's child you know so but they want that it is fine because this is what their community and it's a whole community of people that are actually pushing for that so I'm not going to say community exactly like, so I'm not going to, don't, don't think I'm saying that one person is correct over the other. Exactly. This is just my experience as a mother of kids with Down syndrome, any other mother with Down syndrome or any other ability or disabilities, totally what they, you know, and it comes with, you know, what their experience is, what they've exactly. learned. And I think that it's just important to have this conversation and to say that because I think so much for individuals who sit in privilege, we want it to be easy. We want it to just make sense and we want it to be one way for everybody. And I'm speaking so humbly here. But yes. the fact of the matter is, is that it's not. And everybody, just like we have the right to say and do and be and live how we want to, everybody else has that right too. So yes. if you want me to refer to your children as children with Down syndrome, but there's a mom out there that would prefer Down syndrome child, we in the privileged seat just have to live that way and not you know and just be okay with that because that is life and so it brings me back to these conversations and why your blog is so important and imperative because not only are you lifting up and spreading information in the disability community but I think you are giving me a new perspective and extending my perspective as well because I've been in this world for years now for over five years and I'm still learning every single day and I think that yeah, 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 and you live this, you live and breathe this, and you are an advocate, and you work for its rising sun, correct? Because you're yes, talking so about we, uh, yes. I mean, I will probably not take too long, but um, I I would say that I think being this is comes this comes with privilege. So our privilege living here in the U.S., we have a good healthcare system. We are able to provide our kids with therapies that they need in um, affordable ways. Um, but uh, I come from uh, Pakistan and in my country or um, a lot of kids, you know, they come from poor families, needy families. So this is an institute that provides them these therapies at either free or affordable rates for them. Because in, in that country, a lot of the times, if you can't afford the therapies, those kids are just kept at home because there are no schools, uh, not a lot of schools. So this is one of the main schools and which is what we took this initiative. And we were like, if we have been given this chance to see, we had no idea about the school because we weren't having any kids that had any issues. Once we had the kids and we realized how much goes into them 
being what they are today, like any early intervention, everything that goes behind the scenes is so necessary for these kids. So that's an institute that caters to kids with all um, different kinds of uh, disabilities. And uh, we help them fund, um, you know, physical therapy, speech therapy, and just resources for, um, they have a whole institute for the blind, and then there's one for the deaf, there's overall early intervention, so, um, which is what we, we just registered them here in the U.S. so we can gather charities um, and just fundraise for them so people um, have a chance to um, get the same um, or similar, um, uh, you know, uh, resources like our kids here. I think that's so wonderful. And I'm going to link Rising Sun in the resources here because people are just curious because too, like you said, here in America, there's already so much privilege. And like you said, in your culture, even just having children, family members that lived here, it was difficult to have these conversations. So I would imagine that in Pakistan, where Rising Sun is, there probably still is a lot of shame around having a child that has a disability. And so communities and resource centers and therapy centers and schools that are run and led by individuals who are Pakistani, I think is so huge to kind of start lifting the veil so that hopefully we recognize that these individuals are nothing to be shamed for. Right. And these things are like, these things are expensive. We know that they're expensive over here too. So a part of apart from um, having it as a, you know, as a shame or any other factor, they don't really have the money or the resources to spend on a child with disabilities. They would rather spend it on another child and send them to school. So yeah. this is what they wait. They are, they're just weighing, weighing options. their options and they're like, you know, somebody who can give us some return, um, you could spend on them. And which is what we want to make sure that they have enough funds so they can even do it for free. Yeah, so I will link that there. And like um, Sadia said, she didn't want to take too much time talking about it, but it's also linked in her bio as well if you want to go and check it out. But I think it's so important, again, for all of us as Americans being privileged to even just go and learn more about the program. You don't have to donate, but I think even just going and, you know, learning more about Mm -hmm. these other programs across our globe are, are really helpful more helpful than i think we think it doesn't have to be monetary yes just even knowing it exists a, right even as a parent when i take my child to physical therapy and he's getting the therapy i think of it as wow what a privilege like you know i'm able to do this and another child equally capable like him is just not at his level because he didn't have this resource so yeah. just it has made me more just thoughtful of that process yeah absolutely well I just have a couple more questions if you would indulge me so um what is something that you would like to tell everybody about Aisha and Ahmed something that you would want us to know about them okay yes um so I think um uh, the biggest thing is that with Down syndrome comes some physical features that automatically if you are a little bit aware, expose you to the fact that this person may have a disability and you may just by looking at them, push back on some things that you are going to offer them. So I want people to know that they need a chance. I think this is the biggest thing is that disregard what they're able to do or what not they're able to do. They 
should still be given a chance. That is what shows how capable they are. A lot of the times we are just not even letting them try. Like in, I didn't even in my wildest dreams could think that Ahmed was reading, is going to be reading at grade level. So the teachers and the therapists that worked with him gave him a chance that, you know, and we as parents, you know, worked on sight words and did this and that. And he was just getting more interested in it. So giving the chance is what, you know, if I had the mindset that he may not be able to do it, I would just skip on the activity. So I think it comes with the fact that give them all the chances. And if they're able to pick some, that's great. If they aren't, then, um, you know, just move on to another one. But they are capable and they are really worthy of a lot of things. They're just worthy of the life, a respectable life. You know, if you see somebody and if you see them, they deserve respect. I think they deserve respect like all of us. They should not be looked at, stared at, whispered about. It is just, you know, they, they do deserve uh, you know, because of everything they have done to be at this stage in their life. I think Absolutely. everybody works hard. They work hard yep. and they deserve the respect. They, they are capable and they're fully worthy of everything that they deserve. And yeah. they're there. Love, life, friendships, yes. education, families, everything. Absolutely. Yes, everything. I love yeah. that. And then my last question, and it might be a little bit personal, but are you happy? Did you feel like this life brought you something more than you could have ever imagined? Um, okay, so that is, uh, that, is, that is an interesting question. Um, if I am happy, I am more than happy now. And I wouldn't change a thing about my life. I wouldn't trade it with anybody for even a second I wouldn't change anything about my kids anything but was I always like this I think that's um that is what we need to understand is that you need to give yourself time to be where I am today you may not be there and I wasn't always like this too you know as a parent everybody has this image in their head of a perfect child and when that idea is taken away from them, there is grief, there is frustration, and there is unhappy. Just uh, you're just not going to be happy at that stage in your life. And I think it is important to go through that to get to where you are today. Because if I wasn't, um, I'm able to uh, be happy and see them achieve so much that. Just even even just, you know, like them lifting a spoon and writing with a pen, like writing, just overall writing. I just I'm just like, wow, like because I mean, it makes me happy. Everything they do makes me happy because I know how much went behind it, like how much work they had to do to get to that level. And that is what makes me happy now. Everything around them but I wasn't I won't say that it was always like this there was a very difficult phase in my life where I thought um you know why are things like this and there was grief um but I'm telling you if you do trust your kids if you give them a chance and you let them show you what they're capable of 
I think you will be happy and you will be more than happy. I think it will be something you, I think, I do think that it wasn't something I ever dreamed of. Like not even in my wildest dreams, I was ever thinking that I'll be a mom um, to two kids and both of them having extra needs. But that is what makes me happy today. I think going through the grief and healing and going through those difficult times make you, from what it sounds like, and I'm just reflecting back to you, you're not missing any of it. You're not missing any of the life that they're living and you're able to be yeah. present, not only as a parent, but as a wife and as a partner yes. and as a friend to your children and as an advocate for them and mm-hmm. as a mom to them. And I think that that is, I mean, who could ever ask for anything more than just... And, uh, yeah. yeah, and I think the best thing is when they wake up in the morning or when they're just walking around anywhere, they'll just look back at you and they'll say, I love you, mama. Or they'll say, you know, it's just, I mean, we are not even more, uh, we're not very expressive as adults, I think. Uh, but kids, they will show you what real love is. <laughs> oh, yeah. It is the best. It is the yes. best feeling. That is something I think about teaching that I miss is just... Yes. That. Just their hugs and oh, so oh, yeah. like and they could just make any day better and uh, uh yeah and they do see when you are not having a great day yes and when they ask you what happened you want to be like uh I shouldn't be like this <laughs> I should that so that you know you it, yeah it's no. amazing what they have yeah. shown and us why wouldn't you want to be awake for any of that right Yes. So I love it. Okay. Well, this was, I mean, I just, before we go into the rapid fire and the last question, well, actually let's go ahead and go into the rapid fire and then the last question. Um, but I so appreciate I've never done rapid fire. So it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Just it, take your time. It's not a big deal. It's just something fun, something fun uh-huh. to kind of end the interview. So talking or texting? Texting. Texting. Perfect. Favorite thing to order at a restaurant whenever we used to go to restaurants? <laughs> um, I would say it was a molten lava cake. Oh, delicious. That's a first. I've heard that. Um, <laughs> okay. Favorite day of the week? Friday. Something yes. ordinary that makes you incredibly happy? Something ordinary. That is um, my black coffee in the morning. So good. And then one thing you are grateful for right now. Um, oh man, one thing. Um, <laughs> it's so much. Um, but for now, since I'm here in Montana, I am grateful for the beautiful scenery that is around me. It has such a good impact on our mental health, the kids, the, uh, like us overall. And I love running outside. I have not been able to do this in Texas, but every day here, I look forward to running outside. Oh, that's so so beautiful. I love (laughs) that. And then my last question, it's not meant to be rapid fire and you can kind of interpret it however you want, but how do you think we as humans are more alike than we are different? Yeah, so I think um, we are, um, you know, as a biologist, I would like to say that humans are actually 99% alike um, but we don't <laughs> you know we think that we are not but um we are um 
but uh, we we are alike in so many things. Like we are striving for similar things. I think everybody wants to be happy. Everything everybody wants to uh, be respected. Be um, you know you're striving for better life for yourself, your families, and um, working hard. I think, and uh, you are uh, everybody's looking for respect as human. I think nobody is less than the other person. We are so much alike with the amount, with, with the kind of things we're striving for. I think um, that's what makes us really, really alike. I love that. And I've never heard someone break it down that way. You know, I always think about just our physical bodies as, you know, we're energetically made up. And I think a lot about that as us being alike and us just being energetic beings, but also recognizing that on a, um, micro level, we're 99% alike. I mean, yes. that already just gives me so much more compassion for my fellow human. We, we look different. Uh, you know, we look different, but we are pursuing, uh, or we may, um, pursue different things, but at the end of the day, we are all striving for a better future for all, you know, everybody. So yes, we are, you know, we may not look alike, but our, uh, what we strive for is very similar, yeah. I think, as to, humans. Yeah, absolutely. To a molecular, molec- I can't even say that word, molecular, <laughs> molecular, there we go, molecular level. level. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, that is so good. And um, Sadia, I just, I appreciate your honesty and I appreciate your vulnerability and talking about these things um, aren't always the easiest. And you do it with so much grace and compassion and respect for your husband and respect for your children and respect for the community that you're growing at upping the downs game. And um, like I said, I at the beginning of this conversation, I just sit in so much admiration for you. I sit in admiration of all my parents, honestly. I think so much about them, especially in pursuit of this new field and um, just wanting people to know that they will have someone in their corner in a world mm-hmm. where they feel they might not. And yeah. um yeah, I just really appreciate you spending the time with uh, me and my listeners and I think that you're going to shed a lot of wonderful perspective for individuals who may not know how to have these conversations. So I appreciate it. I, I'm so honored and I, I can't thank you enough for really just just even thinking of me as a guest for your podcast. And I, I, like like I told you before, I was just like, Who is, is it me? <laughs> so I had to prepare and I was like, um, but I'm so honored and I'm so thankful that I was surrounded by people like you and so many others that actually made me what I am today at the first few initial difficult phase, the years of my kid's life, I was surrounded by people like you. And that has truly made me into what I am today and changed me as a person um, and made me believe in my kids. Well, hopefully, that I met. <laughs> hopefully your blog and conversations like these do that for more people too. Right. I think that's my purpose. That is the only reason I took that up. And it was hard talking about it publicly. But um, that is my sole goal is to um, 
you know, get other parents to talk and um, get into an acceptance for their own children. And their Where can lives. people connect with you? We haven't mentioned that. Yes. Yeah, so um, um, like you, like I, uh, you mentioned, I have a blog on Instagram, Upping the Downs Game. And uh, you can always go there, email me there or message me there. All my contact information is there. Um, and then, yeah, and the name Upping the Downs Game, if somebody's interested, it's because I have two kids with Down syndrome and we're trying to up the game. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's so good and it's so clever. And um, yeah, this is such a wonderful conversation. Like what a great day, way to end my day. And it's so nice to see you. And I am so happy um, to see you. Give Aisha. And I will tell Aisha that yes. I was talking, she was wondering, she's like, what are you doing, mom? <laughs> Give like, her. I'm, going to, I'm going to have a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Give her the biggest hug for me. Um, and I'll have to send you a video of us. Um, it's really, really cute. But um, thank you so much, Sadia. And I hope we get to do this again or our paths cross or more people go and follow you at Upping the Downs Game. Even if you aren't a special education teacher, you're not interested in this world at all, I do think it's important to diversify your feed. And I think Sadia has really great tips and tricks on how to, you know, provide different types of instruction for children. And I don't know, I just think in general. And also, if you just want two really cute kids in your feed, yes. <laughs> go and follow <laughs> Up yes. in the Downs game. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, Sadia. I appreciate Thank you. you. Thank you so much, Jackie.